Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, the true remnant of Bible-believing Christians. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Just checked out some of the podcast downloads. I appreciate you guys for not only downloading it, but sharing the podcast. That's how it gets out there since we are banned on most social media platforms. So if you're a new listener, you can go to StandUpForTheTruth.com, and up in the left column there's podcasts. Click on that. You can see about the last uh, 10 guests or so that we've had on and download any of those or listen online to those podcasts. Plus, we've got 200 top resources uh, where you can get information from a biblical worldview, some conservative outlets, um, theological outlets. There are news outlets, and uh, we recommend all of them. If you find anything wrong with any of those 200 people or ministries or news outlets, let us know, and we'll look into it. But we can recommend those, so check out those resources. Can't wait to get to our guest today, Dr. Christopher Cohn. We're going to be talking about the issue of social justice, which has kind of infected or infested the uh, biblical church, the evangelical church in America. We need to clarify some points. He's got a book out called Authentic Social Justice. We'll get to that in a minute. Father, thank you for giving us another day. We ask that you would empower us to speak your word, to speak the truth in love, and to impact our sphere of influence for Christ. Um, Lord, help us be that aroma. Um, Help us to be that salt that sometimes flavors, sometimes preserves, and sometimes irritates. But Lord, help us to speak in truth and help us, God, to hear from you. Holy Spirit, thank you for filling each one of us, for giving us everything we need for life and for godliness. We commit this hour to you. We pray that people would be challenged, informed, and encouraged. And help us all, God, keep our hearts soft toward you and passionate for the things of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, before we get into the topic today, thank you for a couple of the listeners that reached out to me um, asking to order a case of books, of my book, Canceling Christianity. Thank you. Uh, That helps it get out there. Uh, It's because of the body of Christ that it has gone out there. And again, if you're a brand new listener, um, we tried to put ads out. Even my publisher tried to put ads out on Facebook and somewhere else, and they were rejected. I tried personally to boost posts and send ads out on my book, and six ads were rejected, so we stopped doing that. We asked you for help, and you guys are coming through big time, so thank you so much, for, especially for sharing the book cover and other things on Facebook and social media. It'll get out there thanks to you. So today, we're blessed to have a brand new guest, Dr. Christopher Cohn. He serves as president and CEO of Agathon EDU Educational Group and leads Colorado Biblical University. Cohn is a former seminary president, also a research professor. He's held teaching positions at the University of North Texas and Southern Bible Institute. Dr. Cohn is also the author of more than 15 books. I've got some catching up to do, including the one we're going to discuss today, Authentic Social Justice. And he's coming to us from Independence, Missouri this morning. Christopher Cohn, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you. It is an honor to be with you, David. Well, we can get to the book by going to drcone.com. Is that correct? Uh, That is, yes. And um, I know all your other books are there, too. And um, it's an extensive website, by the way. I just want to share a little bit about your background and get just uh, have you share whatever you would like. It's it's just there's just so much here. I see that, um, first of all, a couple of other books. Uh, Priority in Biblical Hermeneutics and Theological Method, Forged from Reformation, Applied Biblical Worldview, Essays on Christian Ethics, and you've got a Doctor of Philosophy, actually, in Theology from Trinity School of Theology in India back in 2008. First of all, tell us a little bit about that. Well, (laughs) that that was a a kind of the European research model. (laughs) Uh, So that was uh, a couple of years of uh, intense writing, mm. and uh, but I sure appreciated their approach. Um, 
you know, as, as you've noticed, as you've encountered with your book, there are certain topics and subjects that are, are maybe not well received uh, <laughs> by some. And so uh, I, I'm very appreciative of educational institutions that allow you to pursue uh, a particular course of study and a passion. Also, I see Regent University a few years before that, and going back uh, even before that, um, you got a Master of Biblical Studies, Schofield Graduate School. Tell us about that. Right, right, yeah. It did a, a Master's and a Doctor <clears throat> in Theology from Schofield in partnership with Tyndale Seminary, where I spent some time. Uh, again, the kind of uh, kind of schools that uh, really uh, are, are focused on the Word, and uh, you know, did a lot with biblical languages and and biblical exegesis, and uh, and got into theology, and that kind of set set the course of uh, some of these academic pursuits for me. Now, even before that, and this is the last one I'll ask you about: undergraduate studies, Moody Bible Institute in the yeah. '90s. You don't even look that old, first of all, <laughs> uh, but to, to have all this behind you. But uh, so you got started at Moody. I did, yeah. So uh, Moody seemed like the, uh, the the right place to go because there was a young lady there uh, that I had pretty much determined that I was going to marry, and uh, <laughs> she was she was there, and so. So so was I. That was a sign from God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if ever there was. Uh, yeah. So uh, Kathy and I have now been married uh, going on 29 years. Wow. So, Congrats. So. Almost three decades. Uh, praise God for that. Amen. Um, Amen. So let's, uh, let's talk about the topic today. Um, and of course, what's going to come up, the social justice apostasy that has infiltrated the church. And we'll talk a little bit about racism. Um, but let's start with the image of God and as the basics for the sanctity of human life. And uh, one of your first talking points that you sent me about the book, Authentic Social Justice. First of all, what, how did God put this on your heart to write this book at that time? Well, you know, I think similarly to, to kind of what you're doing, David, I, I've been passionate about uh, understanding God's Word, knowing Him, seeking to walk with Him, and also seeking to demonstrate that his his system has value uh, and that it that it's good and that it's beneficial uh, and and it's true right and so uh, when when you you look at the division and the heartache and the brokenness that's around us uh, there are so many solutions that are proposed but the biblical uh, the biblical model uh, it is so simple. Uh, mm. The idea that all humanity is created in the image of God, and from Genesis chapter 9, that's, that's where our value comes from. That's where, uh, that's where the sanctity of life comes from. That's where God says, you know, uh, if a uh, man sheds man's blood, by man's blood should be shed, because uh, you're made in the image of God. Mm. And, and so the basis of all human rights of all uh, sanctity of life, of human life, is rooted in the idea that the, God has put His image in us in, in some way. We're not told exactly what that is and how, but, but uh, that element of Him is in us. And uh, so we all have uh, value in His sight uh, and equal value, and that's really important. Hmm. Equal. Yes, equality. That's a big word. Um, it gets, gets, gets confused with equity. Um, so talk a little bit, just keep going, talk a little bit about that, because we know that we, human beings, mankind, we are created in the image of God, and male and female, and if, it, we just have to stop there, because even that has been attacked, the truth of God's creating of the universe and all things and mankind. So that, as you say, uh, this is the fountainhead of all human rights, so please continue. Yeah, the idea that we are created by a designer, capital D, uh, who you know imbued us with value from him, uh, it defines everything. And, and those roles and those characteristics, those elements of our identity that we have, uh, are given to us by this designer, capital D, uh, by the biblical God. And if we uh, trust in the designer... Uh, then we're generally going to be able to embrace his design and things work as as they're designed. 
On the other hand, uh, if we uh, want to be liberated, if you will, if I can use that term <laughs> from from the designer, we we don't want to be accountable. We uh, we want to do our own thing. Uh, then, if we're consistent, we have to reject his design, which means we have to try to kind of wash his fingerprints off of us. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we see in society. You know, yes. we got rid of God in many of the public institutions we attempted to. And kind of the last vestiges are the most difficult to, to eradicate, and those are those elements of individual identity. Uh, and that I, I believe that's the entire controversy of, of gender identity, and those, those issues are, are, are very much related to the design, and we're moving away from the idea that we are designed, and if we're not designed, then we can pretty much self-declare and, and be whatever we want. So there's a lot of very, uh, you know, very sad uh, situations with uh, people who have really no concept of who they are, the the richness of who they are, um, because they haven't yet met the designer. Mm. Something you said um, a couple minutes ago, liberated from the designer, capital D, that means God liberation we tend to think of as a good thing but right. in this context being liberated from the designer i almost got chills when you put it that way cuz doesn't that mean a rejection of the truth of god and the authority of jesus christ therefore the you have to almost throw out the entire biblical worldview don't you 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 do and that's exactly correct if you're consistent which you know in in uh, in philosophy, you're, you're trying to be you're trying to be consistent in your worldview. You're trying to be uh, consistent, have something that's cogent that works, uh, and uh, that's not self-contradictory. And you can't really reject the designer uh, without without uh, rejecting the entire design. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. Uh, you know, I was uh, doing some some reading and and uh, uh, encouraging some uh, some learners in. Uh, in the process of just evaluating George Smith, his atheism, the case against God, and he's he's essentially arguing that there's a uh, there's falsehood, there's truth, there's things that are beneficial for humanity, but he starts by saying there is no God, uh, I have no belief in in God, and he can't answer the question of where truth comes from, where falsity comes from, where uh, how anyone would determine what's good for humanity. Um, you know, there are so many different opinions and philosophies about what is good, who determines which is correct. And and so it's really an absurdity. Uh, it's like a swirl of self-authenticating truths that uh, uh, I, I, can, I can make all these statements, but I can't defend them or justify them with anything if I've rejected the capital D designer. Yes, <laughs> and, exactly. and, and that's... That's why the conversation is so convoluted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then here, here we come, uh, working from the Bible, and of course, because we say that there are answers, uh, we can be accused of uh, uh, judgmental or uh, arrogance or those types of things. And so we got to be really gracious in the conversation. Yeah, I was just reading that this morning, and I think in in First Corinthians, where Paul says, "What business do we have to judge the world? They need to hear the gospel. They need to be saved. They need to hear the truth. But we are to judge those inside the church." We're speaking with Dr. Christopher Cohn. He's the president and CEO of Agathon Edu Educational Group, and uh, talking to us from Missouri this morning. Um, before we, well, you know what? Let me jump ahead here. I, I one of these chapters really piques my interest. And it's chapter three, biblical socio-political foundations. Um, if you feel like you know sharing some from, some bullet points, maybe from that chapter, I think our listeners would be really intrigued by that. Sure. Well, I'll start by saying that one of the challenges we have in our society is we we find ourselves in arguments. Uh, at the socio-political level, hmm. um, yes. that's that's the area where uh, where we uh, we find much of the social discourse. And and uh, what I what I'm trying to illustrate there is that uh, in order to have those discussions, you know, we have to have a, a pretty thoroughgoing worldview. There there's some foundations that have to be dealt with first. Uh, we have to deal with 
in every worldview, everyone has beliefs in these areas, whether they recognize them or aware of them even. Hmm. But everyone has an epistemology. Uh, they, they have a, a means of arriving at truth or certainty. They trust somebody, yes. whether it's their own reason or their experience or, or a, a biblical God. Uh, they trust somebody. Uh, and uh, everyone has an epistemology. Uh, and that leads to metaphysical conclusions, right? Uh, uh, what's the meaning of life? What is good? Uh, is there a soul? Is there uh, life after death? All these questions, they're kind of uh, pre-populated by, by one's epistemological conclusions. How, how do I determine truth? Who do I, who do I go to, to to gain truth? Of course, in the biblical model, uh, you know, Solomon tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of, of wisdom in Proverbs 1-7. So uh, as, as those who hold to uh, the Bible as God's Word, our epistemology starts with the biblical God. Our metaphysics, or our understanding of reality, is, is, is given to us by the creator of that reality. Mm. And, and then once we have the description of how things are, then we move to the prescription of what we're supposed to do about it. Yes. And, you know, we get to the ethical responsibilities of believers, um, you know, to be holy, uh, to, to be loving, these kinds of things. And then uh, after the ethical implications, which would be the individual responsibility, you have the social political responsibility, which is what we're supposed to do in community hmm. uh, as, as these various groups. <clears throat> Pardon me. And, and the Bible gives us, uh, much on those uh, on those topics, and, and tells believers how to engage and yes. and how to respond. And so, the idea is that instead of just jumping into socio political issues, if we do the do the work, uh, and I challenge unbelievers to do this too in their own un, uh, in their own worldview, do your work in epistemology. Understand what is your what is your source of truth, your your certainty, <laughs> and then what's your reality, your metaphysical understanding, and then what are you supposed to do about it? What, what's the ethical implications, and then what should a good society look like? Um, and so it's, that's, of course, nothing new to uh, philosophy, but I think sometimes for, for Christians, maybe we haven't, uh, we haven't you know, thought in that kind of orderly way uh, to recognize that one thing leads to another, and ideas have consequences. Amen. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. Because that's an important principle right there. Ideas have consequences. Um, but what you said was really good, I think, when you said everybody starts by trusting somebody. The problem is we're not asking the question as believers, what is our starting point? And then how do we defend that? Because, uh, you know, when I was growing up, all I said was, yeah, I believe in God and I believe the Bible. And if, if someone were to ask me why, I would just say, well, because I do. And that was enough for me, you know, growing up when I was younger. But in this day and age where there's so much moral confusion and ambiguity and attacks on truth, we need so much more than that, don't we? A- absolutely. And and there's so much information available, which means that the, the ambiguity and the attacks are more prevalent. And, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, the uh, essentially we hold in our hands, you know, all the knowledge of humanity, yes. right, in our phones and our our computers, and and so any eight year old can uh, can understand uh, the arguments against the existence of God and those types of things, right? So. Yep. So our our kids especially are having to really wrestle with things that you know maybe maybe uh, previous generations didn't so much. So yeah, it's very important for us to to dig into the Word, uh, understand what our our heavenly Father has provided for us, so that we can be uh, adequate and equipped for every single uh, good thing that He's uh, designed for us to walk through. Mm. Amen. Um... We're going to take our break, and so much more to get to with Dr. Christopher Cohn. The website, drcohn.com, Twitter, at Dr. Crone, Dr. Cohn. And when we come back, we'll talk about what he said. Ideas do have consequences. Also, if there is only one race, then what is racism? More on authentic social justice when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth 
with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Dr. Christopher Cohn. He's the president and CEO of Agathon EDU Educational Group, and he's in Independence, Missouri. The website is drcohn.com. You can get so much information, including uh, links to all of his various books, and there's a lot of articles. In fact, one of them I put in today's podcast notes that will be up at standupforthetruth.com, The Biblical Origin of Individual Civil Liberties. And so, Christopher, the book is Authentic Social Justice, but I know you want to have a conversation about things that really matter and things that will really equip the believer listening right now that just doesn't always know how to respond to these things in our culture. So let's go back to defining terms. Uh, Social justice. I've always said that whenever you put a word in front of justice, uh, put up your red flag, test all things, because usually what's being promoted is something other than biblical justice. Um, They're talking about moving toward a socially just world, and you're talking about concepts of human rights and equality. There's that word again. Uh, Economic, uh, they, they do this through progressive taxation, income redistribution, property redistribution, and then you get into socialism and communism. We don't have time to go that far today, but let's define the terms just social justice. You talked about authentic social justice. What is that in terms of our biblical worldview? That's a great question. The So what I'm trying to do, and I'll, I'll give a tiny bit of context before the, the definition. What I'm trying to do is kind of what Paul did in Acts 17. As he walks into, you know, as he's yes. uh, engaging the Athenians, and he sees... Uh, all of this idolatry and their their worldviews represented, okay? And then they have, of course, the one, uh, this one altar that says, to an unknown God. And so they acknowledge their own uh, uh, inadequacy. They, they acknowledge a weakness or a hole in their worldview. Hmm. And rather than, than destroying all of the other wrong things that Paul sees, he identifies the area where they recognize weakness, and he goes after that to present them truth. Mm. And so with the title, obviously social justice has a lot of baggage. Uh, justice is a great thing, right? We yes. see that, for example, in the, in, the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, justice and righteousness is the same word, Sadiq. It's the same, it's the same concept. Um, and, and it's been really hijacked uh, in, in our, in our uh, Western society with uh, with social justice as a particular kind of justice that is designed to right uh, wrongs mm-hmm. that have been perpetrated in the past. Yes. Very, very similar to uh, Karl Marx's economic solution mm-hmm. to a spiritual problem, right? Yes. Everything is a, about oppression, and you fix oppression by fixing the economy. Uh, so, so you get the Communist Manifesto. So that's all economics. Well, Social justice is doing the same thing, except uh, it's not dealing with economics as much. I mean, it gets obviously into economics, but its focus uh, is more social or dealing with the with communities. Um, And so, what I'm doing, rather than saying all of these uh, perspectives on social justice are wrong and and uh, critiquing it, I'm trying to provide uh, a biblical approach to uh, justice within communities, hence the title Authentic Social Justice. Mm-hmm. So rather than argue against the term and argue against the concept, I'm trying to provide a biblical perspective on these issues uh, that, that uh, would come under the umbrella of social justice. Well, the Bible teaches God is a God of justice, and I think uh, our, a lot of people in the Church today, our understanding stops right there because there's so many other types of, quote, justice. And, um, for example, I guess we do need to touch on just the, the failures of socialism and look at communist uh, dictatorships and how the people are treated. They may be equal, but they're all oppressed or suppressed. And so their rights, the whole idea between of social justice, isn't it to give everybody uh, equal footing, equal rights, so to speak, but we don't find that. So maybe we need to talk about, you know, world examples that we have, don't we? Yeah, you know, and I think it, uh, it, it, we could go back even further, but 
Plato provides a tremendous example in his Republic. Uh, you know, this great philosophical work, he's, he's trying to lay out what the perfect society looks like. And uh, essentially, uh, it is governed, uh, in order to make it all work, it has to be governed by the philosopher kings, these elite who they understand what the common people just are not intelligent enough to understand. And that kind of, uh, it sounds fantastic, and it sounds like everybody's on equal footing, but you have somebody who governs. And uh, you have the same thing in communism. It sounds like great. Everybody is equal and has the same. Uh, uh, essentially, they they put in what they what they can and they get out what they need. Sounds wonderful, but somebody governs it, and it and it's it's horrific bondage, and it's turned out to be that way in every single instance it's ever been applied in in human history. Mm. And so, but here's the here's the big challenge, David. Uh, we look at capitalism sometimes as the solution and democracy, but the problem is these are these are the best systems on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is because they involve human beings like you and me. Uh-oh. Uh oh. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> we, we have we have greed yeah. and we have oppression and we have abuses, and so it's not the system's fault; it's our fault. Mm-hmm. But uh, folks like Plato or Karl Marx will look at the failures of the people and say, oh, it's a failure of the system, and then we'll put a system upon the people uh, to try to fix the, the problem that is an individual, personal, spiritual problem that people are separated from God, and they need His grace. Mm. Let's, uh, for, because of our time constraints today, I want to jump to a very important topic, and that would be racism. Um, the question I teased before we took that break, if there is only one race, then what is racism? And you have a chapter in your book, and I'm wondering if this was what you discuss in there. It's um, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's chapter eight in your book, Authentic Social Justice. I can think of a, several scriptures, including one from Revelation. I think of one from Galatians chapter 3. So share with us how Christians can understand and respond to accusations of either racism or white supremacy or being oppressors as white people in America. And is that what you started to unpack at that portion at that time in your book? That's Yes, excellent. And you hit on two key passages uh, related to that. Um, and again, rather than do a, a cultural expose and a historical thing, I do a little bit of that, um, essentially showing that the, the progressive left historically, in, in, in our country, historically has, has always been on the wrong side of the issue yes. uh, in favoring uh, bondage and and oppression, even though the the political speech doesn't align with that. That's right. Inst- instead of doing that historical expose, what I'm what I'm really trying to do is lay out. Here's the biblical approach. Here's here's what a biblical model looks like if we follow it. Uh, it starts out with uh, all humanity uh, being endowed with the image of God, and therefore they uh, every single human being has value to Him. Uh, so much value that he holds even animals accountable uh, for the life of, of humanity. Hmm. Um, in, you know, trivia, uh, are, are animals moral creatures? Well, the answer is yes, according to Genesis 9. We don't think about that often, but that's <laughs> another book. That's another conversation. That's right. <laughs> but but when, when, we, when we look at these references, we see it in Ephesians 2, we see it in Galatians 3, we see it in Revelation 7, and, and, and uh, the idea, especially in, in, in Revelation 7, you see people uh, from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and that's, mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So what we, what we discover is that even within the body of Christ in this church age, uh, we have brothers and sisters from all different cultures and ethnicities and walks of life. Mm-hmm. And then when we look at the snapshots of the, of the future in heaven, again, all these peoples are there, different cultures, ethnicities, and all that. And it's a beautiful thing. And so we should be right now, uh, as, as biblicists, people who are trying to uh, uh, love and obey the biblical God, 
we ought to be living like that now, uh, mm-hmm. recognizing that every person has, has value. And if we're going to spend eternity together, we may as well get along here and now. That's mm-hmm. kind of the punchline. Right. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing. And there's, uh, you know, biblically we see in Genesis, there's one race, there's one blood of people, and Christ's blood covered all. Uh, and so we, uh, we have true unity in Christ, and we see that play out into eternity with uh, every, uh, every, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation mm. uh, represented. Yes. Um, I'm glad you brought up unity, because I, we talked before we got on the air this morning about John chapter 17 and how Jesus prayed to unite us, his followers, that we may be one as he and the Father are one. And a lot of Christians want to do that. Christopher, a lot of Christians, we want to unite with our brothers and sisters. We want to be unified and more strengthened as a body to be more effective in this in this culture, in our country, in, on, in the world. But we're not because of all these different teachings and doctrines and divisions. So uh, c- give us some clarity. Can, how do we unite with people who are either deceived by these doctrines, these worldly philosophies, that the social justice teachings and issues that may be sociopolitical, but obviously they're in the church. So how do we how do we reconcile John 17 and unity with uniformity or what's going on, for example, from the left? Well, I love that you're referencing John 17, uh, because just earlier in that passage, in, in verse 3, he defines what what true life is, what eternal life is, and, and it's essentially that that people would know intimately have this relationship with with God. Mm. And that's that's what real life is, and if we have that by belief in Jesus Christ, then we're these new creatures. We are we are uh, brothers and sisters now in the body of Christ. Yes, and. Uh, and it, it, it all changes, right? We're, it's it's all new for us, and so uh, it, it doesn't matter our ethnicity, our cultural background, any of these things. And so, true knowledge, or excuse me, true true unity is is based in the true knowledge uh, that that uh, uh, direct knowledge that comes through belief in Christ of God, uh, and. Uh, so I would encourage any any brothers and sisters who are struggling with this. Uh, first of all, know that uh, many of the secular perspectives are diagnosing correctly that there are problems. They're they're accurately saying this is bad. This is a this is a horrible situation, and and it's that's fair. They're seeing correctly in many of those uh, situations. Uh, the question is, how do you fix it? And uh, if we fix a human spiritual problem by human means, all we're doing is masking it. It's like a, it's prescribing a medication to deal with a symptom, and we're not dealing with the problem. The problem uh, to disunity and disharmony is not being in Christ. And then once we're in Christ, uh, you know, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you referenced chapter 5 earlier, mm-hmm. uh, but just a little bit earlier uh, in, in chapter 4, he challenges them all not to go beyond what's written so they won't become arrogant. They need to, he even says, speak the same thing. You, you all need to agree. So it's possible for us as brothers and sisters to have great disagreements and yes. disunity even within the body, but the more we align ourselves with what God has said, yes. the more we know him, the better off we'll be. I'm glad you put it that way. The more we align ourselves with what he said, he, God, our designer, our creator, the biblical worldview, the word is truth. Instead of aligning ourselves with any, quote, social justice ideology or movement, as as wonderful as it might sound, this is what happened last year. And I think you saw that as well throughout America. The church wanted to be helpful in this moment uh, it could have been such a, a different cultural moment for the church, but we ended up locking arms with uh, Marxists and Black Lives Matter and Antifa and others, meaning well because we were, all, of course, we were against racial injustice. But there's one verse that kind of blows this. I, I mean, let me just share this verse and get your take. We're running out of time, but Ezekiel 18:20 says, "The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, 
nor the Father suffer for the iniquity of the Son. And doesn't this teach that we are not responsible for our fathers or our grandfathers or our ancestors' sins, no matter what they are? Could you kind of unpack that in the last couple minutes here? Yeah, it's a magnificent passage. And, you know, part of the issue in Israel's history, they were under the law, and the law would hold generational accountability. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as part of the, the new covenant that Israel will one day see the benefits of, uh, they're freed from that, and there's individual responsibility, individual salvation. And and uh, the principle we can, we can apply in our own sociopolitical settings that uh, that each individual is held accountable. There certainly are generational consequences, <laughs> yes. and because of that, we need to have compassion, kindness, gentleness, but we also need to deal with the individual spiritual problem. So if we are, as the Bible teaches, we are descendants of Adam, um, and I think Ken Ham wrote a book with, I believe, Dr. Charles Ware, One Blood, One Race, Yep, um, excellent. One of the points that you made in uh, authentic social justice, there is only one race. But what is racism then? Is that just a, a, a construct, an ideology that is being used po- for political purposes? Yeah, it's a misnomer, technically. Uh, what it is, is it's differencism. Any difference we have, we pick one, uh, we decide to elevate ourselves by pushing someone else down. Uh, it could be any difference, height, mm. different color hair, uh, different color skin, um, but there's only one race, and so racism itself is actually a misnomer. Amen. Oh, I, I like that. Just that, that fact that, uh, is, by the way, partiality, is that what we're talking about here? Uh, yes, discrimination? exactly. Partiality. James talked about that, right? Yes. Yes. So um, thank you so much, Dr. Christopher Cohn. The website, friends, is Dr. Cohn. Dot com, and you can get more information on him, a lot about his books as well. And I would love to put you on the spot and ask if you could come back with us. I'm sure there's so much more we could talk about. Oh, I'd love to. Okay. Anytime. Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time today. God bless you, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Thank you, sir. God bless you as well. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Marxism and what it is doing in our culture today. There's so many different teachings on this. We need to understand also... What is egalitarianism? What is that? So we'll unpack that a little bit. Plus some good news on a Christian student group, a major court decision. More when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. A couple more things on this topic that we were talking about, what the Bible has to say about social justice. And there's a word, um, egalitarianism. Um, it's coupled with phrases like income redistribution or equality of outcome. It says a great deal about social justice, egalitarianism. And I'm learning this, too, looking this up and trying to understand so that I can communicate it better, more effectively. As a political doctrine, it essentially promotes the idea that all people should have the same, equal, political, social, economic, and civil rights. And that's almost impossible. It is impossible. So the idea is based on the foundation of inalienable human rights enshrined in such documents as the wonderful Declaration of Independence. But as an economic doctrine in our society, egalitarianism is the driving force behind socialism and communism. It seeks to remove these barriers of economic, quote, inequality. How? By government forcing redistribution. How has that worked out around the world? Well, socialist programs tend to create more problems than they solve. Go back to the 1960s in America. Lyndon Johnson's Great Society just expanded and ballooned the federal government, the bureaucracy, and created all these massive programs that tax dollars needed to fund. But is our country better off because of that? Absolutely not. In fact, his programs, you can look back now in the studies, show that it hurt. They hurt the black community, especially when these programs are supposed to help stomp out, you know, poverty and all these different things. But so they create more problems than they solve. Um, For example, welfare. Welfare uses public tax revenue 
to supplement the income of the underemployed or unemployed, right? Well, typically, uh, it has the effect of recipients becoming dependent on government handouts rather than trying to work or improve their situation. They lose work ethic. They lose motivation. They're taken care of by the government. They get used to it. And friends, in the last decade or so, or more than that, this has been by design from the left, socialists and progressives in America, um, the Obama administration and many of their policies. But every place, look at what's happening in Cuba and how they're revolting and protesting right now. Every place where socialism or communism have been tried on a national scale, we're talking about massive failure, com- uh, completely failing to remove class distinctions in society. And that was, that's one of the, its, its stated goals, right? So again, the Bible teaches not social justice, individual responsibility, but that God is a God of justice. All his ways are just. Now, he mentions the church. Jesus, uh, in his Olivet Discourse, he mentions the church caring for the least of these. Is that social justice? No. That's church compassion. That's charitable work that the church is to do because we have a heart for those who are in need. Uh, We have a heart for the lost, and then we have a heart for those in need, or we should if God is working in you and you are bearing fruit. But it's nothing It says nothing about handing out money so people or groups can be elevated to a different place in society. Jesus never lobbied the Roman government or Caesar to do anything of the sort. He put that responsibility on individuals and the church. Compassion and charity and true religion is to take care of the least of these. All right, I think I... I hammered out that point a little bit. I just wanted to clarify some things. And I really enjoyed our time with Dr. Christopher Cohn. Again, you can check him out on Twitter as well, at Dr. Cohn. And he's on Facebook and uh, drcohn.com. So I love Owen Strayan. I don't know if you've been following him. His brand new book is out. And man, I can't wait to get my hands on it. But it's called Wokeness and or Christianity and Wokeness. Christianity and Wokeness, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel and the way to stop it. Owen Strayan, his last name is spelled S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N, but I believe it's pronounced Strayan. And I have a quote from him, which I've been hanging on to for several days now, waiting for the right time to unleash it. So he says, the more you study Marxism, the more you realize it's a giant con job to gaslight the free West into committing suicide while whitewashing the murderous policies of many of history's most evil overlords. He's referring to socialist and communist nations and dictatorships. He said, Marxism is the doctrine of demons. Understand, friends, stop right there. Understand what's being driven by Marxism today. Black Lives Matter, Global Network, Antifa, Critical Race Theory, and go on down the list. The Democrat Party, driven by Marxism. He says it is nihilism with a fancier glossary. Marxism does the killing but accuses the free market of all the crimes. Celebrity intellectuals do the same. They breathe fire against quote, capitalism, and stunt for Marxism. But they themselves make very nice capitalist livings, as do the talking heads at CNN, MSNBC, and the power elites in our country. Yeah, they stunt for Marxism and, oh, socialism, but they say a Democrat socialism, which is supposed to make socialism better, right? (laughs) And we fell for it, Uh, or some people have. At least the younger generation did. Otherwise, there wouldn't be... Uh, more Bernie Sanders supporters and voters than they're ever. Um, So anyway, he continues, they also drive fine capitalist cars. They drink fine capitalist wine. The hypocrisy is breathtaking. Owen Strayan continues, it is truly amazing how Marxism destabilizes thriving capitalist countries by alleging they're full of non-existent 
quote, oppression. While the governments of Marxist countries ruin the lives of their people through actual public oppression and pretend such suffering isn't real. And we've got blinders on here in America, friends, if you don't think these people in other countries, especially the communist socialist countries that are trying to protest right now, if you don't think their oppression and suffering is real and you think their systems are just, we've got to wake up. Don't fall for it. He says, in light of obfuscation, here's a short uh, rule of thumb to sum up the aforementioned relationship. Let's call it the rule of diminishing oppression. (laughs) And he's in parentheses 2021. He says, the more oppression is alleged to be in a free market society promoting free speech, the less there is. The less oppression is said to be in a repressive Marxist anti-free market society, the more there is. Isn't that fascinating? He said, invented rules aside, this is an age when everything is flipped. Reality is profoundly destabilized today. It is hard to think straight. We all feel that. Just thinking accurately seems to take three times more effort than it used to. But the church exists in part to help people do just that. Think rightly. Know the truth. Spot the lies. They're everywhere, as it says in Scripture, to test all things. In our time, the church needs to be the dread foe of Marxism once more. We must not seek a compromise with Marxism. We must not let it take over our free society or what remains of it. We certainly must not cheer as the West darkens, foolishly thinking this will surely mean automatic triumph for the church. God will do his work in any conditions, yes. But historically, the collapse of civilizations is not something that merits Christian applause. The church should actually be a force against collapse. But some people are cheering it on. We will preach Christ in free settings or in prison cells. That won't change. But nowhere in the Bible is the Babylonian captivity, for example, presented as a wonderful event. Yes, it became clearer who was an Israelite, but the collapse of a once solid civilization, once founded on God in formal terms, was the calamity of calamities. And he wraps it up by saying, the church is not dependent on the state. But the gospel often advances most rapidly, check this out, in free and open societies, societies that come relatively closer to the biblical ideal for humanity. Christians today should resist Marxism at every turn and those who spew it. We should be a moral force against it. We should support freedom, liberty, and principled societies where we can. We should pray that America will not fall to its Marxist blood enemies, that this republic will not commit suicide, that the light of Christ will shine very brightly in our present darkness and in whatever darkness is to come. Owen Strayan. Um, I believe, I I think I copied that from his Facebook page, actually. It's not an article. He's just someone that I've been following over the last year or so that I found to be such a clear voice of truth. And he's young, relative to some of us. (laughs) He's a young man. Anyway, uh, God bless him, Owen Strain. By the way, I caught this um, Q&A they had. Owen Strain was there, Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA, Eric Metaxas was there, and Vody Bauckham. My goodness, talk about a power panel. Anyway, uh, you can get that. They met at the NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, a couple weeks ago, if you want to look that up on YouTube. And I, I, think, um, I think it was Metaxas that shared that. Uh, but, uh, wow, just so many good voices out there. Make sure you are listening to the right ones, the voices of truth that are established on the foundation 
of the biblical Christian worldview, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Friends, this is an hour where we cannot be silent, and this is an hour in America and in the world where we must not, be, we must not back down. Please, please, lock arms with those that you can find with this common biblical worldview. It, it might not be popular, you might not get the friends on social media. You might be censored. You might be called hater or intolerant. But take it as a badge of honor if you're offending the right people, meaning the left people, right? <laughs> you, hope you caught that. All right, so thank you guys. And by the way, the article I didn't get a chance to get to, a Christian student group won a major court decision. A court ruled uh, the University of Iowa— um, violated the First Amendment's rights, but it, but they didn't. So anyway, that was a good news. It's over at Faithwire, a good news story. An appeals court ruled that the University of Iowa discriminated against Christian student groups. So whenever these court cases come, and there's very few of them, with good news out of the university system, they're really starting to su- suppress even Christian groups. Talk about, quote, tolerance, right? One of their highest virtues at the university level, but they are often intolerant most often, of the biblical Christian worldview. All right, we made it through that segment without me getting too um, too passionate. But thank you, guys. I just thought those words on this perspective of what's happening in our country and the culture, call it a culture war, call it the information war, I call it the truth war. It's on, friends. When we come back, we'll let you know who our guests are the rest of this week on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Tomorrow you will hear from Jason Jimenez of Stand Strong Ministries. That will be live online at q90fm.com. You can listen live and uh, also uh, the podcast. We'll try to get that link to it. Um, that it will be a rebroadcast, so there's no brand new podcast tomorrow. We've had new ones this month so far. Jan Markell, uh, Steve Smotherman last week, those were brand new on Wednesday. Typically, we do a rebroadcast, and that's what we'll do tomorrow. And our guest for Thursday had to uh, reschedule, so I will be going through some news stories. There's so much that I haven't had a chance to get to. We will do that on Thursday. It's going to be a catch-up day on news and views from the biblical worldview as we tackle uh, social and political issues, which a lot of people in the church think we should avoid. Dr. Scott Lively on Friday. He's one of the Patriot Pastors. And uh, thank you guys so much. Again, as always, we appreciate your sharing the podcast uh, on social media. We thank you for your prayers for this ministry. And by the way, shout out to Germany and Mexico. We had people listening online from those countries this hour. So uh, thanks. Get us out there. We love you guys. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.